Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim, and welcome to the Backstage Show. This week on the Backstage Show, we'll be picking up the conversation we had in the previous episode, but taking it a step further when we get into a discussion about dealing with the unplanned throughout a production. So sure, improvisation can help you in a particular moment. How do you deal with the unplanned on an overall production basis? Right. And things could happen almost immediately that have to be dealt with on the fly to some degree. Before uh, you even start, they can happen. Yeah. For example, when a, a play season is selected by a particular theater, they have to go and apply to get the rights to the shows. Mm -hmm. And, well, sometimes that doesn't always work. Gee, I can't imagine that ever happening. <laughs> <laughs> We've mentioned before that the rights for a particular show could become unavailable at the time you want to do it, or could be a geographical thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. But this is a good reason to have a plan B. Of some type. Yeah, and a lot of theaters do have a plan B in place, but whether or not they actually go with that plan B or come up with an alternate plan B, I don't know if you'd call that a plan C or not. That's kind of depends on their policies. I know, uh, I'm sure we've talked about it before, where I was slated to direct uh, Death Trap a couple of seasons ago, and when they applied for the rights for Death Trap, they were surprisingly unavailable. That's a circumstance where... Under normal conditions, they would have uh, selected an alternate. Uh, this was at Barley Sheaf, and they usually do select an alternate. But what happened in that particular year, the alternate that got selected had to be used because they couldn't get the rights for yet a second show for the season, <laughs> which I want to say might have been Chicago. It's either Chicago or maybe it was Lucky Stiff. I don't remember. I, I know they've, they've lost both of those recently or couldn't get them. But uh, regardless, they, they lost the, the rights to another one, so that the alternate went in there. So they basically came to me as the director of the show that got pulled and go, what else you got? So, <laughs> so they really uh, needed to uh, deal with the unplanned because yeah. their contingency plan was already taken up. Yes, but what has happened a lot, and I think this happens with other theaters as well, when one of their uh, shows has unavailable rights, they have that decision where they have the backup, but they don't always necessarily go to the alternate that's been selected. A lot of times they'll go back to the director and go, do you have something else in mind? Yeah, I think that will depend on the theater's policies and perhaps, mm -hmm. you know, if say in a different case where the season is selected before maybe the directors are assigned, then yeah. then they might go to maybe a predetermined alternate or alternates rather than go to a director if there is no director yet. Yeah. I mean, I know the the way Barley Sheaf does it is they select their season and then they select an alternate. And is that voted on? Sorry? Is that voted on like the rest of the season is in that case? Yes. Okay. The alternate is, is voted on and it's voted. It is submitted. The shows are all submitted by the director. So the alternate is selected with a director. Right. Okay. But is that like the, the runner-up show that didn't get as many votes as the ones that did get picked? I believe what happens is it's selected separately. It's not automatically the runner-up. Oh, so it's directly chosen as an alternate specifically. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but as I said, I think their policy is to just often they go to the director first instead of to the alternate show. And I okay. don't know how other theaters do it, but 
uh, as you said, a lot of times they select their shows and then select directors. So whether they offer the alternate show to the director that was selected or whether they select directors with the, I, I see I, every theater is a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, when I was, when I've been on the play reading committee at village players of Hatboro, they've run into multiple occasions over the last few years where at least maybe one show per season, there might've even been two shows in one season, but I, I'm not, don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rights were not available, so they needed a backup. So as members of the play reading committee, catching on the possibility that that might happen, we found that it was good to recommend alternates and looking at it a different way. If it were the alternate one year and say the other shows did get to be produced, then it could be a contender for the following year. Mm-hmm. And if you needed the alternate, then you had it. Yeah, I think with Barley Sheaf, it's a little different there because the director would have to submit the show again. But I think if something is selected as an alternate one year, it probably has a good chance. And you could submit it again the following year and go, hey, well, this was selected as an alternate last year. Maybe you're interested in doing it this year. Right. Well, it works. It works for Hapro because, you know, they didn't necessarily at the time at least rely on director's submissions or applications mm-hmm. or or rather the the directors didn't pick the plays. Let's put it that way. Right. The, the plays were selected and then the directors put in to direct Typically, or the directors would apply based on what plays are available. But so, yeah. So having contingency plays to be able to do is probably the starting point of having dealing with yeah. the unplanned. Of expecting the right. the unplanned, but even within a particular show that can be performed, uh, you could have to deal with script changes, I suppose. Yeah, I actually had that uh, happen to me when I directed uh, Boeing. Boeing, I, I had a copy of the script and read it, and I'm like, "Oh, this is really good." And I started planning it out, and I, I proposed it, and it got accepted, and we had the auditions. Or I, I think this actually this this did occur before the auditions. They ordered the script. And then when I got the scripts, I'm like, this is not what I read. The characters have different names. Oh, my goodness. Some of the lines are different. Wow. I I was very thrown off. What I think happened in this case is Boeing Boeing was revived on Broadway. And when it was revived, they made some changes to the script. Yeah. So that when you get the script now, it's not what the original script was, which is what I had read. So that can certainly happen where you're getting a different script than you're used to dealing with. Yes, another show I know of where that is definitely the case is Noises Off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe when uh, we were doing it in high school, there was only one version of the script available at the da- that time. But since then, there's been a revival and there have been some updates made to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, rights-wise, I don't know how that works as far as, you know, can you apply to get rights for a specific version of a play or are you forced to do whatever the latest version yeah. is or whatever the playwright's wishes are as far as which version is allowed to be done. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We were starting to question that during Boeing Boeing, and and I pretty much said, well, let me get a little more familiar with the newer version and see what I think. And thankfully, the, the changes that were made, I, I liked the changes, and I, I think some of the updates were actually better than the original. So that's what we ended up going with. But yeah, I, I think that was the production's chair. I had a conversation with him going, hey, this script is different. What can we do? And they're like, well, I guess we can ask, but... It just never got to that point. Mm-hmm. But it's just the kind of thing that it's unplanned. You don't know what, what what's going to happen. They, they could also just, if they're updating the script, because I know, I want to say it was Samuel French that I had spoken to somebody with there because of just all of the typographical errors and all the <laughs> mistakes that I found. I, I had said something to them. 
And apparently what they said is they're actually in the process of redoing and re-editing all of their catalog, their back catalog. Wow. So... Well, they get a bunch now, of interns? I guess. Now, one would think that all they're doing here is correcting the mistakes, but who knows? They might be updating stuff and making some changes other than just updating those mistakes. Who knows? And how can you tell sometimes? I mean, maybe sometimes a mistake was intentional. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible, but usually, for the most part, you can tell, like... Sometimes yeah. they've I, I've seen scripts where they left out a character name and it yeah. and it looks like you've got one line of dialogue to a character where it's actually oh wait that line is clearly supposed to go to this character yeah yeah or I, just like typos punctuation mistakes some are obvious there's a lot somebody, of obvious errors I, some are obvious to somebody who's been paying attention when they read it yeah yeah I mean I it's it's something that the, that they've clearly just done quickly to get these things out there yeah yeah. Well, what about uh, any other unexpected requirements? Yeah, I mean, I I know Accomplice was one where once we got that and got into it, I realized that, oh, they're actually requiring us to use the music. I don't remember if the sound effects were required as well. I don't think they were. I I think you, you, you had to get one recording that had both the sound effects and the music in it, but you were only required to use the music. When did you find out about that? Um... I mean, I'm sure it was early enough, but it's not the kind of thing like it's in the script. The requirements are in the script, I think. I, I don't believe that it was a production requirement, although it's possible that that sort of thing could occur. Usually that, that kind of requirement is, is listed in the script when you're reading it. But it's certainly possible that once you apply for the contract to get the rights for the show, they'll go, OK, sure, you can get the rights and you have to get the music. And that's your additional cost is here. So it can happen. Ah, oh, man. Hidden fees. Yeah. <laughs> well, they got to make their money somehow. Yeah. Moving on from some of the preliminary legwork, I, I suppose you could say, in terms of getting ready to do a production, you could mm -hmm. now have to deal with the fact that just about all these productions we've been talking about are open auditions, and you don't really ever know who's going to show up at the auditions. And especially yeah. if you are looking for a particular person who meets certain characteristics, you really have mm -hmm. no guarantee that the, a suitable candidate will be interested or available or qualified. Absolutely. I mean, the first show, that the first full production that I directed, Getting Away With Murder, has a character that's a uh, one-armed African-American. Now... And? And and I cast a uh, a, a white Irishman uh, with two arms. Uh, because a non-amputee. A non-amputee, <laughs> yes. I mean, sure, it's certainly entirely possible that a one-armed African-American will show up for your auditions... I, I have to wonder what the person writing the script was thinking in that case. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly not like anything. You can fake one armed fairly easily. You know, you you, you pin the arm to to, to your chest. You, you you just leave an empty sleeve, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's not really that big a deal. But I mean, this is a script that had an African American. It had an uh, Asian character. It, it was a diverse cast, which is great to see. But unfortunately. Right. Uh, in a lot of these suburban Philly theaters, you don't necessarily get a very diverse auditioning pool, and yeah, I certainly didn't. That so understandable. Yeah, could happen, or it's understandable but, I mean, that it could happen. Is mm -hmm. what I meant to say. Yes, I, you know there are certainly uh, racial requirements in some shows that are more important than in others. Yes, this this was certainly supposed to be an Asian and African American, but for the script for the show, it it was not like you can't do it without doing that. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and you have like, you know, characters that are in wheelchairs, characters that can't walk. You have that kind of thing often, but sure, you might get 
a disabled person coming to uh, audition for you, but odds are against that, and you're probably going to be casting somebody who's just going to ride in a wheelchair. In all fairness, I think given the setups of some of the theaters and stages that we have worked in, somebody who actually were paraplegic probably wouldn't even be able to navigate the backstage area. Probably not. Particularly in Barley Sheaf. Yeah, Barley Sheaf has basically ladders to get up from the green room to the stage. There's no way to get on the stage without climbing something. What? You mean all these theaters are not ADA compliant? Well, I mean, uh, certainly (laughs) not for the actors. Yeah. They usually are for the audience. Usually are for the audience, but not necessarily for the actors or people working Mm -hmm. backstage. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if Barley Sheaf wanted to to cast somebody who required a wheelchair, they certainly could. There are ramps available that could be uh, set up to go up onto the stage from the audience, and they use those uh, often otherwise. So right. it could happen. They could make accommodations for it. Right. But yeah, usually not going to happen. Generally, you know, there's like height requirements, race requ- requirements. Uh, there's all sorts of different things for different characters, and and I love to see the diversity in theater and diversity in shows, but there's a limited pool that we're dealing with for auditions. So that's something that, you know, you can't plan for that. No, you can't plan for it. But I think you have to probably anticipate where you could have challenges. And this has been talked a little bit about in mm-hmm. kind of behind the scenes at some of the theaters I've been involved with. The idea that, okay, if you know that you're going to do a play that calls for certain demographics of actors and you don't necessarily, from past experience, expect to get said actors at your auditions, then you may have to determine other means to promote your auditions, maybe in other venues or outlets, to try to improve your chances of finding the actors that you're looking for. And if you don't find the actors you're looking for, you probably need to have a plan B in place. I mean, and this can be just something as simple as gender. You know, you deal with shows that are male heavy and male actors are traditionally difficult to get in community theater. So if you're dealing with a male heavy show, you might need to be like, okay, well, which of these characters can I cast women in drag or cast (laughs) women and just change the gender of the characters? So these are all things you have to plan for. And then once you do get cast, you never know if you might lose an actor. Yeah, uh, any number of things could happen. Uh, I, myself, the first show I directed, a show called The Senator Wore Pantyhose. The guy that we cast as the senator, he had a really nice audition. I was really looking forward to work, working with him. Uh, unfortunately, I think between the read-through and when we, when we started rehearsals, he had to drop out because he got a new job and mm-hmm. his workload was going to prevent him from having enough time to commit to the show. So yeah, that happened right off happen. the bat. So I had to. And I mean, I've even had that happen, and just in casting itself, where I've been like, okay, this person's perfect for the role, and then you offer it to them, and then they're like, oh, you know what? Actually, I can't do that for whatever reason, and then you have to rethink your casting. So yeah, I mean, it it can happen right from there, or it can happen. I've had circumstances where uh, actors have, you know, oh, I'm moving. (laughs) You know, that has happened. I've just had some that kind of stopped showing up for rehearsals and you're like okay well what's going on are you interested in doing this show or aren't you just not showing up not calling to say they couldn't make it just completely mm-hmm. incommunicado yeah pretty much and eventually i had to communicado with them and see what was going on and uh i i, I kept getting there was one circumstance where i kept getting excuses and then you're faced with okay, this is a community theater, it's a volunteer organization, do I need to fire one of my volunteers? Yeah, I kind of had to do that at least once. 
um, mm-hmm. with somebody who became unreliable due to personal issues, which I won't get into any great detail about. Oh, I, I think that's the kind of thing that just happens to any director sooner or later. I think I mentioned before, not that long ago, about uh, a fellow castmate of mine who got injured playing basketball during rehearsals. Oh. Not not playing basketball at a rehearsal, but having right. played basketball sometime during the rehearsal period and needing to have an alternate actor cast for... It turned out it was half the shows because she was able... The original actor was able to recover in time to be able to do, say, the second half of the run. Right. I've had that kind of thing happen where uh, there was a show that I auditioned for, got rejected, and then the person they cast broke their arm. <laughs> and I ended up getting a call to be like, are you still interested? Uh, and I stepped into that role. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I honestly wasn't sure because it's like, okay, well, I'm not your first choice. Yeah. Are you sure you still want me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not disgruntled or anything. That, that 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 production did not go overly well either, but I was just I'm not gonna name names. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say earlier that the person who had to come in to step in for the injured basketball player, of course, only had maybe about a month to learn her part. Mm. So and then the person yeah. that became unreliable in True West, the show I mentioned earlier, we needed a replacement who only had about mm. a month to learn his part. And not that it was a major role or anything. <laughs> Lee. I sense a little sarcasm there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I did come close to having to consider firing somebody in another production. Mm-hmm. I didn't end up doing it, but it was a situation where, you know, kind of had to have a one-on-one talk about, you know, having a come-to-Jesus moment, rely if, on if that's appropriate term. Uh, not that I'm Jesus or anything, but just kind of laying down the law a little bit and emphasizing what you need to do <laughs> to get your act yeah. together kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I had a circumstance where I did have to let somebody go. And and thinking about, well, okay, if this person isn't in, I was even considering, you know, should I step in or to play a role or what should I do? Uh, It didn't come to that, thankfully, but, you know, it came very close to that just due to a perception of underperformance. So whether you're like getting rid of actors or whether actors are dropping out for due to unforeseen circumstances or whatever, you're obviously going to need replacements. And like you've talked, like you said, you even considered stepping in yourself. And I think we've all had that moment. But I mean, I I, I think this is where as a director, like every time anybody auditions for me, they fill out an audition form and I still have every single one of those audition forms. (laughs) I've saved them all because you kind of just get this group of replacements of in case you need to go into the well, like, yeah, you need to have a well to go into. Well, I usually end up saving everybody's email addresses from previous shows I've worked on. So if I do need yeah. to get a hold of somebody, I usually can do that. Or mm-hmm. uh, if I have to go to Facebook and message them, I can do it that way if I need to. So, yeah, you can kind of go with those people that, that you've worked with. There's also going to the other actors you're working with in the show and trying to find out, well, who do they know? Yeah, or who do other people in the crew know or the producer mm-hmm. or Anybody can have suggestions. Last show that I directed, uh, we that was the show where I had difficulty casting. Where I, I think I've talked about this before, where there there were two characters that kissed, and it turned out both of the uh, actors that I was going to offer those roles to weren't comfortable with that. Right. So I brought in, you know, I went into the stable of actors that I've worked with before and and cast the uh, the female part in that, and then she knew somebody that that could cover the the male part. So that worked out where you know i knew one and then she knew somebody else and we managed to cast it that way is that the not ready for glenn time players 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's the ones that are ready. <laughs> oh, but they weren't ready because they didn't. They weren't in at the beginning. I don't know. Whatever. They didn't audition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Sure. Uh, suggestions. Uh, good suggestions can come from anywhere. Honestly. So. Uh, yeah. You usually I mean, go on this big recruiting binge when things like this come up. Yeah. Although when in, in for the uh, the True West situation when. I found out that Steve Niles, who was playing Saul, could not do one of the performances. That was one of those things where I did step in because, you know, it was three mm. weeks before that performance. And to expect somebody to come in to do that part, you know, at that point in time with that little notice and preparation didn't really make a lot of sense or seem likely. So I figured this is a it's a supporting role. It's I only in two it. scenes. I think I can manage it. So I, I could have done it. Well, would you have wanted to come to Hatboro just to do that for one show? For one show, maybe. Mm. All right. Well, I'll remember that next time if I'm in, in a bind. <laughs> I'll just make sure it's a show I'm familiar with before oh, okay. you call on me All for right. that. <laughs> I kind of had anyway. fun doing it. Yeah, I think that would be fun. That's why I'm like, yeah, I'd probably do that for one show. Why not? <laughs> so uh, dealing with actors that you know go away for one reason or another is one thing, but what do you do about you know, non-compliant actors, actors that just, I mean, for one reason or another are causing your show trouble. Yeah. Well, that was, that was the situation I just described earlier about having the sit down, the one-on-one sit down to kind of lay down the law and say, Hey, you got to get your act together. Well, that's great if that can work. It did in that case, but there's no guarantee that'll work. No. I mean, you might, you might be dealing with somebody who just does not take direction and it doesn't matter what you say to them. Yeah, I think some situations you just, there isn't really much you can do. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody, you know, if you encounter situations where, you know, maybe you like somebody from their audition, but that's all they're ever going to give you. And, you know, they're not responding to any other direction. You're kind of stuck with that. If if This is one of those things like the the non-compliant actor is probably the biggest bane of my existence when I direct. If I've got somebody like that, I honestly do not know what to do. And I'd, I'd love for somebody to tell me what I can do with that. But I mean, I've worked with, you know, super experienced directors. I've worked with directors who have like, you know, worked on off Broadway stuff. And I've been in shows where that they've directed where there have been actors that just aren't listening and are undermining the show. And they don't seem to know what to do either. Mm. Because you've got, you know, once again, it's a volunteer organization. If somebody's just annoying you, you can't really go, you know what, get out of my show. Yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, the full level of potential annoyance may not be realized until the show actually happens. Yeah, this is true. And then you're stuck. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to... I can't think of one director who would kick somebody out at that point. Somebody would have no. to really screw up and do something really egregious for that to happen, but even, I think. even during the rehearsal process, I mean, I've dealt with some actors who, you know, will they'll try to almost take over the show and they'll tell other actors what to do and they'll tell other actors to go, Oh, you should try this. You should do that where it's really not their place to do that. Exactly. I mean, as a director, I, I, I really love getting input from other actors, but they kind of have to know that the director is where, where the buck stops and right. the director is the one that makes the final decision and they can't undermine that process. Yeah. I would certainly encourage anybody to make a suggestion or idea. It doesn't matter what it is to me. Mm-hmm to, you know, in front of everybody, in front of their fellow castmates to me. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not that proud to turn down the idea if I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, somebody going behind somebody else, you know, going behind the director's back to yep. give direction to a fellow castmate, that's not cool. Yeah. And that's the kind of unplanned thing that I honestly don't know how to deal with. Yeah. Well, we've talked about cast dynamics before in chemistry or cast conflict before, and that can be unplanned as well. And, yeah. you know, unless you're like a crisis counselor, <laughs> you it's hard to say or know exactly how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And that does kind of end up bringing up the one question that I noted down in our notes, which is, can a single actor kill a show? I think it's possible. Yeah. Or if not, seriously be a, a liability to the show. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I think I have been involved in productions where a, a single person did kill a show and it, it would have been, or potentially would have been much better had they not been involved. Yeah. I've, and I will not name the show or the uh, yeah. actor or crew member. I've been in the same situation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you see somebody who has certain talents and characteristics to fit a role. And mm-hmm. if you've never worked with them before, you just don't have the understanding of what the experience will be to work with them throughout the production. Yeah. And then you learn yeah. as, as it happens. And sometimes it's not always going to go smoothly. And to a cer- certain extent, I think you just have to make the best of it or deal with it you as best as you do. can. You just get through it. Yeah. You know, having actors who had personal dilemmas going on in their lives while trying to prepare to do the show, it, it happens. And yeah, you don't know what anybody's dealing with. You try to make it work as best you can because, unfortunately, that could be a better alternative than trying to replace them, if that even is an alternative, which yeah, it I usually mean, isn't, especially if it's yeah, relatively close. Yeah, most of the time I don't think it is. Yeah, if it's really close to opening, you really have no choice. Even if it's not close to opening, it's like I said, you can't really, just because you don't like somebody or don't like what they're doing, you can't really, you can talk to them and go, hey, stop that, but if they don't stop it, you know, what are your options? You can't really just go, like, get out of my show. Like Bob Newhart. <laughs> it was a TV sketch. I think it was on Mad TV. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something that I think you really need to listen to. I think it's really going to help your problem. Stop it! <laughs> and he just... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down yeah, to Yeah, he just sometimes. said that over and over again. Yeah. But um, I, I do want to... Doesn't work. Point out, <laughs> I do want to point out that, I, you know, I'm saying that I do think I've experienced single people ruining shows. If you're listening to this... It means that I've probably told you to listen to it or I've told you about it. If I'm still in touch with you, this was not you. I don't want people going, God, is he talking about me? No, I'm, I'm most likely I am not talking about you. <laughs> most because likely. these are people that I haven't even seen in like, you know, I've worked on like one show with them and haven't seen them since then. So, yeah, it's possible that you're listening we to might this have talked you are, shame on you. We might, might have talked about this before, but do you have a do not cast list? I kind of have a do not cast list, but it's mostly in my head. And yeah. I don't know that I've cast somebody that I wouldn't cast again. Oh, I, 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 I've had several experiences of having casted people once that I mm-hmm. uh, would never do so again. I've been in shows with people that I wouldn't cast when I was directing, but I don't know that there's anybody that I wouldn't cast again. There might be. There probably is if I gave it enough thought, yeah. but I don't want to give it too much thought. <laughs> well, it's caused me to learn to to think about if if I see somebody I like at an audition and I want to do a background check on them, and I know mm-hmm. of somebody who has worked with them before, and I get their feedback before making a final decision on casting them. Absolutely. It's good to I avail myself of those opportunities. Yep. So it pays, always pays to do that. Yep. Other than dealing with scripts changing, people changing, what happens if where you're doing your show goes away? That happened to me once. Is that right? It did. 
Uh, I was supposed to be in a production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Methacton Community Theater. And uh-huh. the community building, which was formerly a school that they were performing their productions in, became unavailable because I believe the municipality sold the property. Mm-hmm. Didn't, uh, didn't they go, didn't they kind of go away for a few years? Weren't uh, they looking for a venue? I don't know if they... it was a few years. It was maybe at least a year or part of a year. Mm-hmm. But yes, they were looking for other venues, and I think they ended up kind of floating around to different venues, uh, retirement communities, maybe some dinner theater, that kind of thing, and they may still mm-hmm. be continuing to do that. I've kind of lost track. But yeah. up until that point, they had a more or less permanent venue in which they were doing all their productions. And right in the middle of our production, that no longer was available to us. So, yeah. you know, that was a case of, all right, is there another venue we can find to do this in? Well, first off, is this transaction going to happen, which became increasingly more certain? And then the second question being, is there another venue available on short notice uh, mm-hmm. within a month, month and a half that we could get into, set up, do this production when originally planned? And the answer was no. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing that can take you a while to recover from. And it's good that Methacton managed that. I, I think, uh, what was the other one? Uh, what used to be Marple Newtown Players lost their venue and ended up moving to a church somewhere nearby and they ended up changing their name their spotlight theater now okay and now you're looking at uh, king of prussia players who used to do their stuff at uh upper marion middle school I think? high school high school and they moved from there they started doing shows at a uh, retirement community nearby shannondale and then after a while they they ended up losing that venue so right now they're kind of frozen and looking for a new place and okay. planning out what their future is going to be. So yeah. It's probably the, the losing your venue, I think, is the most likely thing that's just going to kill your show. Yeah. Well, that was. If you don't have anywhere to f- perform it, then you have no show. That was the only production of community theater that I was involved in that got outright canceled and didn't mm-hmm. end up getting performed as originally planned. Yeah. So that's what happens. You, you can't plan for the unplanned. No. And yeah, that's enough to kill your production unfortunately mm-hmm. um, and speaking of unplanned next week on the backstage show we have no we idea have no what we're doing however we've got two more episodes left in this season and uh, then we'll be taking off some time for the summer so do be sure and tune in next Monday because we'll have something for you we'll be going away for a little while yes we'll be <laughs> they're coming to take us away <laughs> in the meantime you can certainly reach out to us at our various social media outlets, such as our email address, podcast at backstage.link. Or you can give us a phone call, leave us a voice message, or a text message. That number is 267-225-8869. Or amongst our other social media outlets include Facebook, facebook.com slash thebackstagepod, all one word, or Twitter, Twitter, at thebackstagepod. And you can also find us on Friendster. Uh, no, wait, no. There's, there is no Friendster. Is there still a Friendster? I don't even know if that's uh, That probably MySpace? went out of business. MySpace certainly <laughs> went out of business, didn't it? <laughs> Who knows? Google Who Plus, cares? is that there? <laughs> Whatever. We're on the internet. Just go to our homepage, backstage.link. Everybody's on the, the internet now. Me. It's no big thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so until next week for our unplanned episode, I am Glenn. And I'm Jim. And thank you for joining us backstage yet again. Yes. Bye-bye until next week. Hi, I'm Glenn. I wasn't ready.
and he's not ready. And welcome to the backstage show. Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. You sound like Jamie Heineman. Well, there's your problem. <laughs> Hi, I'm Batman. And I'm Robin. <laughs> and welcome to the Bat Stage Show. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'm Glenn. Wait, try that again. I talked over you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. Woo. That was quite an opening. Might need to do that again. I might have clipped. I don't know if I can muster that enthusiasm again. <laughs> I know. It's all an act. Mm-hmm. Do it for the children. <laughs> Hi, I'm Glenn. I didn't say do it with the children. I said do it for the children. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. I think I'm ready. Wait. But are you willing and able? Willing, yes. Able remains to be determined. <laughs> but I'm not sure. But how do you deal with the unplanned? Damn this microphone stand. Uh, the first show that. Damn this mic stand. Um, yeah, I, I think it. Uh, stupid microphone stand. Glenn needs a new microphone stand. To... If you'd like to contribute to the collection for this, <laughs> please. <laughs> it's like. A but I never know if it's coming. Tiny up horse on. galloping. Arg. And you're frozen. It's not a good look either. Your eyes are kind of half closed. I don't know if it's still me or not. Oh, there we I go. can hear We're you. Back. You're back. <laughs> Seriously, shouldn't I be able to adjust brightness? Oh, wait, there it is. A musical interlude by Jim.